The fuck you say to me, you little shit? You sound so triggered. You triggered my trap card. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and all other binaries out there. It's honestly been a quiet week in the news this week. I mean, there's some there's some other things going on, but nothing that I really feel that's debate worthy. The whole Henry Ruggs thing right now is really kind of taking over the news news feeds. And 154 miles an hour and ended up hitting the young lady's vehicle, the RAV4, at 127 miles an hour. That goes to show you when you have too much money, you just blatantly have a disregard, a disregard for the law. That's just out of control. You At no point should you ever think that that is acceptable. I don't care if you're an NFL player. I don't care if you're the president. 154 miles an hour on any road. I don't care if it's a highway, side street, main neighborhood road. You're going to take somebody out. And that's exactly what happened. He hit this woman at 127 miles an hour. She was dead on impact. And the fire only made it worse. I don't want to go into that. But this whole disregard for the law thing actually kind of transitions into what I kind of want to talk about today. So I wanted to bring up a subject that it, it's, it happened a little earlier this month, I'll say. You know, uh, I want to say back in October 13th. There was a video circ- circulating around the media of a police officer who they were pulling a suspect out of the car, regular traffic stop, and the situation ended up escalating to where an officer came up and kicked the shit out of the suspect in his head. It's a pretty gruesome video to watch. Doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on, it's a pretty gruesome video to watch. And it got me thinking about all of the things that we're seeing with police these days and the defund the police movements and things like that. And, you know, I think that police force nowadays has increased in aggressiveness. And it's really something that needs to get looked at. Now, don't get me wrong. Defunding the police is a mistake in itself. Don't even go down that road. It's not something that's going to work. However... I'm a firm believer in that these police departments and police academies need to retrain, especially with times changing. Things were different 15, 20, 25, 35 years ago. And you see it in the police academies now. They're having a hard time getting people to join because of these things, because police are now being looked at under a microscope. And really, I think it's a systematic cha- a systematic change that needs to be made in how police are being trained. You know, how many police shootings have you seen this year that just resulted from just improper training? Or, not? you know, it's, it's the same when you get your driver's license. When you hit a specific age with your driver's license, you should really honestly be retested on your driver's license. I wonder. I think they do. I think it's like when you're 50 or 60. I'm not 100% sure on that. I'll have to look it up. But it's the same thing. And it's just for the safety of the individual that's behind it, the vehicle. Same thing with the police officers, for the safety of the police officer themselves, because you can't handle situations in today's day, in today's era, like you did in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. Because there's a lot more phones, and there's a lot more people looking. So, to kind of go into the subject a little bit, 
I actually wanted to talk with a police officer to get their views on it. And he's he's retired now. He doesn't police anymore. But he grew up in the old school era. And he'd be able to, you know, say firsthand what it used to be and how it's transitioned to today. He served over 20 years, retired, and he's been a police during some of the most brutal times. So if we're going to get a realistic view of anything, this would be the perfect guy to bring on. Mike, are you available? Mike, you there? You there? Yeah, I can hear you. How are you, Mike? Okay. Okay, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. How is everything going? Good, good. I know you're a Ravens fan. How are we feeling about the season coming up this week? Um, I think it's going to be a close game. You know, I keep uh, getting reminded of that uh, Minnesota game where we had that snowstorm where we all of a sudden came back in like the last two minutes of the game. You think it's going to be another fight like that? I hope so. I mean, not without the I, weather, but... I do believe it's going to be a very close game, and I think it's going to come down to the to the ending minutes. Um, it seems to be the whole season this year for the Ravens. Yeah, I'm hoping that we pull something out. Lord knows we need it right now. We caught a break last week with the Bengals taking that loss, but you know the rest of our schedule is not easy, and our division is as tight as can be. Yeah, we can't afford to lay down, that's for sure. <laughs> you, you haven't lied a day in your life. So I, I, I apologize for getting off subject, guys. But, um, Mike, we're talking about this whole new age of policing and just how everything has looked a lot more aggressive and the way things are being handled in today's era can be compared to how they were back in your era. And just for anybody listening, he was a cop. I want to say, how long ago were you a police officer? I started... Uh... 41 years ago. 41 years. So that is two generations of a leap right there. <laughs> two generations of a leap. But um, yeah. I'm sure, so I don't know if you got a chance to see it, but there was a video floating around of an incident where a suspect was in a car, uh, the, the situation got out of hand, and then a police officer came up and just kicked the hell out of this guy in his head. Did you get a chance to see that at all? I did see that. What's your thoughts on that video? That that's there's no excuse. That's blatant brutality, and the officer should be prosecuted. Wow, that's actually that's awesome coming from a police officer. I can tell you that right off the bat because it's hearing that from a police officer or a retired police officer is huge. Now, I want to talk a little bit on how things used to be when you were a police officer compared to today. Can you kind of go into how? a usual situation when something like that was handled, you know, maybe even more an even more aggressive situation where you're going into a home with a burglary compared to how it's being handled today and how society thinks it needs to get handled today. Well, let me go back a little further. Let me go back to um, the hiring practices of these police departments. Back when I came on, even before I came on, um, police were recruited from people coming back from Vietnam, people coming back from different phases of the military, people who grew up in the city in which they were applying. And when you compare that to today, 
they're not recruiting from the military anymore. People aren't leaving the military and coming into police work. Back in Vietnam, everybody came home was looking for jobs. That's not the case today. So they're getting a whole different kind of people um, applying, and the bulk of what's applying right now is coming from other states, other jurisdictions, way out in the counties, from uh, the good na- good neighborhoods in the county. They don't know what it's like to, to come into the city and police. And sad to say, but the training today isn't what it used to be. So that just compounds the problem of what's going on today. Would you say that because these are out-of-towners essentially coming into these these jurisdictions now, that it's actually creating the problem and creating the aggressive situations? I won't say it's creating it, but these are people who grew up in different neighborhoods that most of them didn't have crime problems. They're being trained and being thrown into the, the heart of the city. And the first time something happens around them, it's almost like a fear sets in. And their first thing is to jump and put their hands on somebody. And that's not always the case. That's not always the good thing to do. And, and I just feel like having that different type of person coming in, guys from the military, they're all trained. They're trained on, on following orders, on they know fear. These guys coming in from other states, they have no clue. None. They go in the academy, they still don't have a clue what it's like. And it isn't until they're thrown out into the city to do policing that they figure out this is the real deal. And uh, a lot of them, they've never seen or, or dealt with anything like that. And they're, they're quick to, to jump the gun and put their hands on somebody. And, and that's not a good thing. So I kind of, I think it's this problem is different folds. It's the the type of person being hired now, the the training they're receiving in the academy, as well as their training when they come out into field training. Um, And with the turnover rate uh, right now, when I came, when I went in back in 1980, the seniority rate was like 16 to 18 years average. The average seniority now in that same department is 18 months. So there's no senior people there to guide these new people. We have new people working with new people, and that's that's. That sets up for tragedy. So in your belief, do you think we're wrongly looking at these officers then? We're looking at it like it's really, you know, because society now looks at it as, as if, you know, it's the way the police are. And you're saying they shouldn't be judged like that? No, I'm not saying they shouldn't be judged that way. I'm saying that this type of officer is a, is a little quicker to jump the gun than maybe officers were. 30, 40 years ago. But but activity as in that situation we were discussing, 
that's blatant criminal. And as far as I'm concerned, any officer that does that needs to be prosecuted. It's not like they just pulled the guy out of the car. They stumped him. And that's a blatant assault, and they should be charged. That's actually good to hear from an officer. Now, I actually want to ask about a separate incident where a young, uh, not a young officer, an actual veteran officer, uh, she was a part of the force for, I think, about 20 years or something like that, and she drew her gun thinking it was her taser and shot the victim. What's your thoughts on that situation? I think it was an innocent mistake. Tragic as it was, it was not meant to happen the way it happened. And, I mean, it was, like I said, it was tragic, but she even said at the time she was deploying her taser, even though she had grabbed her her pistol. So it's, I, I believe that was tragic and she's going to stand trial for that and probably do jail time. Do you believe that she shouldn't then for that situation? Do you, so do you believe that it's a, something like that happens? Is that training or is it being put in a situation you've never been put in before? I, I I have a I, I have a personal feeling about everybody was everybody's into less lethal options so that they they don't have to go to the pistol and and I understand that I agree with that but when you put two guns on somebody's gun belt and things start getting crazy and adrenaline starts pumping. It's not uncommon for somebody to reach and grab thinking they got one and they got the other. I don't believe both guns should be held on the belt. I believe, if anything, maybe a drop leg holster for their actual weapon and then put the taser gun up on the belt so they're not at, at the, same, the same altitude, if you will. Um, they're not both up on the belt. One is down further on the leg, which kind of reminds you if I got to reach down that low, that's not my taser. I just don't think two guns should be on a gun belt. So do you think that, hearing your opinion on that, do you think that at the end of the day, an officer that's got that kind of seniority, do they have to go through some type of retraining every, for every, you know, five, ten years for something like that? How did they used to handle it back in the 90s? Back in the 90s, we didn't have tasers. We, uh, we didn't have two, gun, two guns on the gun belt. We only had our, our service weapon on the gun belt. Now today, in this day and time, everybody's carrying two guns on their gun belt. One's a taser, one's their, their service weapon. And to me, it's just when the adrenaline starts pumping and, and things get really nasty and and fear sets in, it, it just sets up for a disaster. I in no way feel she intended to shoot that person. Um, she even, when, when she grabbed her gun, she even yelled taser three times before she fired, thinking she had her taser gun. So it's, it's tragic and 
I, my viewpoint may be a little different than other people. I don't believe she deserves to do jail time. I believe she should be terminated. I believe settle whatever you're going to settle in lawsuits, but I don't believe she intended. I mean, at best, it's it's a uh, it's a manslaughter, a non you know a non negligent or a negligent manslaughter. It's not it's not homicide and, and shouldn't be charged as one. Now, I was just looking just looking at a couple articles and something that keeps popping up. And I, I definitely want your insight on this is a lot of people are asking, how can she mistake her gun for a taser? Can you give some insight into that? Yep. They're both the same size. Only difference is one's on one hip and one's on the other hip. The taser has yellow on the front of the taser um, to indicate that it is a taser. But like I said, when, when, when the adrenaline starts pumping and the fear sets in, you're reaching and all you're, all you're worried about doing is, is not getting hurt. And it, it's so easy to make that mistake. Um, so it's, I mean, you train with these things every year you have to go through recertification. So there is, so there is actually training that's, they do, there is training to certify these individuals every year to, to make sure at the end of the day, they know what they're drawing. Yes. Every year that you have to recertify with the taser and you have to recertify with your service weapon. The problem is when you're recertifying that fear, that adrenaline, that's not all there. You know, you're calm, you're relaxed, you know what you got to do. Everything rolls smooth. There's there's no kind of adrenaline or, or fear going on. And it's real it's real easy to do that, to to recertify and you know, you go down there and you grab the right weapon and first off when you recertify with a taser, you don't carry your service weapon onto the firing line. That's one thing. You know, my thing is if you're gonna recertify in using these things, you need to certify in real life situations. I get the fact that the adrenaline's not there, the fear's not there, but that officer should be there in full uniform with everything on their gun belt, both both weapons, even if they're empty, even if the service weapon's empty, so that they have that real-life situation minus the fear. I mean, at least that's a, a little bit closer to reality than saying, okay, bring your taser gun down here and we're going to recertify with it. That That's just a big difference. And like I said, when you throw that adrenaline in there and, and things, things get crazy, it's real easy to grab the wrong, the wrong weapon. And maybe there should be a different type of taser, maybe something that isn't shaped like a gun. Let me, let me ask, let me ask you this. What's wrong with, not giving the police officers a gun at all in these kind of situations. You know, if you've got a guy that's doing traffic stops, do, does he need a gun in that situation? Oh, I believe they, everybody out there, every officer out there needs a weapon because you never know. You may be doing traffic stops, but A, you never know who you're stopping. You could be stopping Charlie Manson, um, and you don't know it. You don't know it until something goes wrong. So but doesn't I, I think that... everybody needs... 
everybody needs the, the service weapon, but I just feel like there's there's got to be a different way to do the taser. I mean, we all we've all seen tasers that are uh, shaped like boxes, shaped other than right. There's um, that, right. There's different kinds no. of ta- tasers, and you, if I'm incorrect, uh, but the police force always uses a firing taser. It almost fires like an actual gun. Am I incorrect in stating that? Yeah, that's correct. When they they point and fire, and the there's two prongs, two hooks that go into the subject and actually sends the electricity through the body. Um, the the problem with that, I, I I don't understand why they can't do something that does that in a different shape. You know what what's preventing having something similar in a box shape, pointing it at the person. And, and squeezing a button. I My, mean, if it can be done in a gun shape, why can't it be done in a different... Right, no, I understand that. My question, I guess, at the end of the day is, what essentially is the officer's main weapon? What are they actually trained to draw in these situations? Wouldn't a taser be just as effective as a handgun? If you've got a guy who may possibly have a gun, and you see him make a quick movement in his car, can't you tase him just as fast as you can shoot him? You can... The, the issue with that is there have been people who have been tased that are not affected by the taser. So if that person you're firing the taser at is not affected and he or she is drawing a weapon, then you're as good as dead because now you've got to get rid of the taser and reach for your other gun. By that time, it's over. So... So I guess it's, uh, it's it's crazy. It's it, like I said, until you insert yourself into that adrenaline and fear, it's you're talking about. You know, everybody can sit back and say, "Oh, this was wrong." People can play Monday morning quarterback, but until you're there and it is actually going down, and that adrenaline and fear sets in. You just have no clue the difference that that makes. How do you prep officers today for that, though? Because these situations nowadays are now popping up more than ever. And now you've got these whole defund the police movements. And, you know, is there a way that you can honestly prep them to handle that situation better? If you can't use the taser as a primary weapon because, and I agree, the the fear of, okay, this taser doesn't affect him, I'm going to get shot kind of outweighs the benefit of let me taste first, but what can honestly be done to change that? It all depends on the circumstances of what you're dealing with. If you have a, a, uh, a person that you're wrestling with, struggling with, they're non-compliant, but you have no indication that there's no weapon, that they don't have any weapon, you don't see any weapon, they're just non-compliant. I mean, that's a perfect spot for a taser. You tase them, they stop fighting, you take them into custody, it's over. But when you have somebody who's maybe the call was for an armed person and you get there and that person goes for the waistband, I'm not wasting time with a taser because if that taser doesn't affect them, I'm dead. And that's basically the way you're trained. Now, are you trained to fire a lethal shot? 
or a disabling shot? You are, we are taught to fire what is called center of mass. And basically that is from your shoulders to your legs and then both sides of your body. So anywhere in the center of your body, that's where we're told to fire. People say, oh, well, why didn't you shoot them in the leg? Why didn't you shoot the gun out of their hand? You know what? Like I said, inject adrenaline and fear. You could be a perfect shot when you're qualifying at the range. But when you inject all that, you miss that leg shot, you could end up dead. So they teach you to shoot center mass, double tap, which is two shots, center mass, and we shoot to incapacitate the suspect. So we're not, everybody says, oh, by doing that, you're shooting to kill. That's not why we do that. If I shoot you in the leg, you may not go down. I shoot you in the arm, you may not go down. But if I shoot you twice in the chest, you're going down. And that's the thing. They want to stop, they want to stop the issue, stop what could turn into them killing someone. I mean, we've seen everything on TV, and God knows with cell phones now, people show you what they want you to see. So what's the reality behind the situation then? I mean, I know you've probably been in these situations before. What's not seen? Don't get me wrong. I know the media only want, the media will definitely portray it one way, but what is not seen? What's happening behind the scenes? You'll, you'll, you'll see the officer will approach someone and that person comes at the officer with a knife. All of a sudden, somebody's sending in a, a, a cell phone video of the officer shooting somebody without any cause. I mean, they don't, they don't show you, they didn't video or they cut out the part where the person was coming after you with a knife. They just show you shooting the person. And then it goes around, oh, this, uh, this white officer shot this black girl or black guy for no apparent reason. And, and, that's, and the media today, they're looking for ratings. They are showing this stuff on every channel because they want the ratings. So everything you're seeing on TV is not true. I will never sit and second guess an incident based upon what I see on TV because that's not always the total truth. Now, and I agree, trust me, I, I, I agree with the whole media definitely portrays it a specific way. But in your with what you've honestly seen, I mean, based off the way the media portrays it nowadays, it looks like that involuntary shootings and all this stuff are happening all the time where uh, somebody calls in, oh, he had a gun on him. Then they show up to a scene and the guy was shot, but they can't find a weapon. How does that happen? That can happen in a multitude of situations. I mean, somebody shows up, you just shot a guy because he pulled a gun out of his waistband. Now, you, you've taken him down. Now, everybody who is around you is coming in on you and creating a hostile environment. And while they're doing that, in the meantime, somebody's picking up the gun and taking off with it. 
so that or a knife or whatever the circumstances may be. So what you're saying so, is it, it may be a situation where essentially someone in the crowd is trying to assist to make the situation even worse than it really is. Oh, yeah. I mean, their viewpoint is they want to make the officer look bad, so they, they pick up the weapon and take off with it. And I'm not saying that's every case. I mean, there are cases out here where people, you tell them to put their hands up, and they reach in their pocket, and they're pulling out a wallet or a cell phone or whatever. Now, my viewpoint on that is you're told to put your hands up. Put your hands up. Don't pull anything out of your pocket. I don't care what it is, especially if it's black. Because first thing, they see a, a dark object coming out of your pocket, and maybe this call came out as an armed person. First thing they think is you're pulling a gun out of your pocket, and you're going to get shot. Just a, a lot of what happens today is nothing more than compliance. And I guess comply I, with the officer. I guess that's what my major concern is, is, you know, when these situations happen and, you know, they, uh, an officer may ask for an idea or something and the guy pulls something out, his wallet may be black and then he gets shot for it for some reason. I guess my biggest issue is the training today allows for the trigger to get pulled first. And you grew up in an era where you guys, you know, it, it was handled differently. Do you think that today that's honestly what the situation is? It's a gun for it's a tr trigger for society. I don't think that's so much the the case. It's when you approach somebody on the corner, that person knows nothing about why you're there. Now, maybe as an officer, you got the call for a guy who's got a gun in his pocket. Maybe somebody saw the bulge in their pocket and somebody called it in as he's got a gun in his pocket. So we're rolling up on you with the thought of you may very well be armed. When truth be told that it's your wallet in your pocket and they don't know why you're approaching them. And the thing is, in today's society, a lot of people want to butt heads with police. And if you just do what you're told, even if the officer is wrong in what he's doing and you think he's wrong, there are other means and other ways to deal with that. Don't put yourself in a situation where you could get hurt or killed. If they say, put your hands up, put your hands up, just, just comply. And that would stop probably 60% of this mess you're seeing on TV. So your thought behind it is a lot of what we're seeing on TV is actually driven by the population just not being able to comply. I, I think a lot of it is um, noncompliance. You have a lot of racial tensity between police officers and the public. And the public feels like I'm not, I don't have to do what this white officer tells me to do. He's just being racist. He stopped me because I'm being racist, because he's being racist. So it's, I think, I think race fuels the problem. And if, like I said, my, my biggest thing is just comply. If the officer's wrong, make your complaints, cause an investigation, have the officer charged, do whatever you got to do. If the officer's wrong, he's wrong, and he'll, he'll have to pay the price. But if you comply... You don't have to worry about getting shot. 
All right, well, thank you very much for your time today, Mike. As always, it's great to have you on the show. Oh, anytime, man. All right, you have a nice one. You have a nice one. You too. So, just based off of that, I mean, I still believe that retraining is qual is what's needed. And I don't know, you, you guys can take it how you want to, but based off of what I heard, I honestly feel like at the end of the day, that almost backs up the fact that we need to retrain how we're handling these situations. Because, don't get me wrong, if you can't handle the kind of situation where it's a live situation that's going to be intense, it's going to be stressful, and you're going to end up pulling the trigger, then you can't be in that situation. I don't know. That's my thoughts on it. Thank you for downloading this week's episode. Tell me how you guys, tell me what your thoughts are on it. Follow us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Triggered Series. You can tweet to us too. Twitter.com hashtag Triggered Talk. I honestly want to know everybody else's opinion on it. I believe that retraining is what's needed. I don't believe defunding will do anything except for create an even worse environment than what we have today. But retraining has got to be the next step. Because we're just not doing right. By our, by our standards at all. And what we expect from our police departments. Thank you for downloading.